Well, hello everyone and uh, welcome to our final episode of our Kingdom Leadership and Mentoring course. And uh, if you've participated in every episode so far, well done, congratulations. If you missed any, please uh, go back and download them. And I really pray that this has been helpful, that you've been growing, that not just got through the, the course material, but remember, one of the other aims was to establish a, a, an intentional leadership growth path in your life. And I pray that that's been happening. And I hope that you've been learning and practicing asking good questions of other leaders so that you can be mentored by them and draw experience out of them. So we've got a great chapter that we're going to be uh, finishing off with today. It's called Building Leadership Within the Church. And really my prayer for this chapter is that it would be uh, something of a commissioning chapter or a charge to you as a leader in terms of what now? How do we practically go out and make a difference in the church or environment or whatever uh, leadership role you find yourself in? So I'm going to pray and I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to come and motivate us, teach us, bring us revelation and help us to grow. Father, thank you for this journey together and I pray that we would finish on a high, we would finish strong, that your word to us today would bring life and growth and victory. So we commit this time to you, Holy Spirit. Please be our teacher once again in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 1 verses 9 and 10, it says, And He, God, made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Now, Jesus, of course, is the head of his church and true maturity, true unity comes as we come together under the headship of Christ. But at the same time, I'm praying that we as leaders and potential leaders would be growing in our understanding of headship, of leadership, so that we can minister with Christ well. Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to go through the first couple of uh, pages which speak once again about some of the purposes of the church and we've covered much of that in previous chapters. I want to turn to page 135 if you don't yet have a manual. Come on, why don't you download one? There's plenty of other exercises and assignments and self-tests that I'd love you to work on as well. But page 135, 10.2 is uh, the topic, uh, the heading there is leadership is the key to growth, security and stability. Now, that's what I want to focus on. These three things that we as leaders, as we continue our leadership journey, the max, the, the value we can bring into our church or ministry or organization, whatever you're involved in, as leaders, that we would bring growth, security, and stability. Leaders are to be part of the solution to problems within the church. That's one of Dudley Daniel's favorite and famous sayings. Leaders should be part of the solution and not part of the problem. And we can be part of the solution by bringing growth, security, and stability into the church. They are available to provide stability to difficult situations and also to bring wisdom in times of doubt. Leaders are expected to be examples to the members of the congregation. Now, that's, remember, that's part of the price of what it means to be a leader. Yes, there's an expectation. People look to leaders in the church and expect them to live lives that honor God. They expect them to be honest. They expect them not to be hypocritical. They expect them to be kind. And it's not their fault. That's the expectation. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, Chapter 13 and verse 7, it says, Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. In other words, as leaders, we should be setting an example in our faith, a faith that brings about obedience in our lives. They are to be consistent in their love and discipline towards the sheep 
of the congregation. So let's look at that example that we call to set. These three things. Number one, leaders, it's our job to set an example in bringing growth to the church. Leaders are to be examples in their evangelism. It's also important to be creative in their recruiting people to the church. To know the heart of the Father is to have a heart for evangelism and to bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Let's stop there for a moment. Let me ask you, leaders, have you got a heart for evangelism? Now, that might not come so naturally. For me, I lean towards teaching and apostle. Let's go to the nations. But what about our neighbors? What about the people at the sports club, the people at school, in your office environment? Do you still carry that heart of being a modern day missionary, a missionary in, in wherever God has placed you, every environment? Does your heart still beat with that love that Jesus has for the lost that's around us day in and day out? Are we doing the work of an evangelist? If not, and I think this is something we should all be regularly praying, please, Lord, would you give me that heart once again? Would you give me your heart for the lost? so that we would be reaching out, using every opportunity to share the gospel. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We too must bring the lost to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So let's have a look at two quick scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16. It says, yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I'm compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. Don't you love that passion? Don't you love that sense of urgency? I'm not doing anyone a favor by preaching the gospel. I'm compelled. Uh, the love of Jesus was stirring and driving Paul. Is that same heart beating in you and I? What about Matthew chapter 9? Matthew chapter 9. And let me read uh, verses 37. And 38, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. And it starts with you and I. Remember, leaders go first. We've got to set the pace, set the passion and set the example of reaching out to the lost. So number one, leaders, our job is to bring growth. We set that as an example. Pray for an opportunity and the courage to share God's love with another person. Now, that doesn't just mean from the front, I get to preach the gospel, I get to throw out the net every week in a sermon and, and people respond and come to Christ. But that's not really what this is talking about. This is really talking about one-on-one -on -one, in those casual environments in whatever area you find yourself looking for opportunities to come alongside lost people, build friendships and trust God for open doors to preach the gospel. Number two, leaders not just bring growth but should bring security to a church. I want to talk six things. How do we bring security to the church? How does our example and so we're going to look at, at six areas of the example of our lives that we should be setting in the church to our families, to the people around us. And this example would help make the church stronger. It would bring security and trust. Number one, by setting an example of priority in our lives. A leader's priorities should include God, their spouse, children, and the local church. A leader must keep them in that order. If God and one's relationship with God are placed below that of the church, problems arise. And now obviously we need the discernment of the Holy Spirit because sometimes am I putting God first? Am I putting His church first? Well, this is a heart issue and the Holy Spirit puts His finger exactly on those things. Our love for God should be first. But remember, 
Loving God at different times might mean I need to focus on my family right now. I need to focus on my, my marriage. I need to focus on ministry. Keeping God at the center, number one priority, is the key. With, uh, a leader must know God before serving him and his or her relationships with God must be a priority. This is huge. Now, I've been a pastor long enough to know that just because you're a pastor or a leader doesn't mean you've always got a great relationship with God. Remember, we, as much as we might be shepherds, we're also sheep. We've got sheep needs and we need to know the shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus himself, to meet those needs inside of us. I want to remind you, pastors, leaders, to continue to work the basics, studying God's word, spending time in prayer, repenting of our sin, the disciplines of our faith, to keep that relationship strong. Don't just cruise on autopilot. Trust God to go deeper and deeper as you walk with Him. Number two, set an example of family. The church is to be seen as family, not an organization or institution. Our understanding of church must be rooted in family and lifestyle. Now, this to me speaks about warmth. I'm a huge fan of this thing called warmth. Now, I think you can walk into so many churches and you can pick up the warmth factor. Obviously, I'm not talking about physical temperature. I'm talking about the warmth of relationships. Is there the sense of of, of love and friendship and a good vibe? Or is it kind of cold and clinical and people just come and people go? Leaders, we set the example of the warmth. Our tenderness, our kindness, our love, our sense of family and oneness will go a long way towards establishing that culture. Thirdly, by setting an example of unity, Psalm 133, remember this uh, wonderful little psalm, Psalm 133. 33, it says, how pleasant, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head, that ran down his beard onto his border of his robe. Harmony or unity as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. And we know God commands his blessing where there is unity. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, Ephesians 4 verse 3, it says, Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourself together with peace. I love that. Make every effort. And sometimes it means making an effort. Sometimes it means having that awkward cup of coffee. Sometimes your flesh wants to just sweep something under the carpet or carry an offense or quietly withdraw. Make every effort means... We go to the person. We go privately, not publicly, not on Facebook, not on Instagram. We go privately to someone. We go with humility. We go with a cup of coffee in hand and say, I need to have a little chat with you. This is how I feel. Not accusing you've done this. No, no. This is what I feel. I feel like there's some tension here. I feel like you've, you've hurt me by what you've said. And, and when we go with humility, when we go with grace, 99% of things can be resolved right there and then. Make every effort to keep the unity. More than one vision spells division. The leadership of the church must hold to the same vision for the church. If they're different or conflicting goals, there's no unity or harmony within the leadership. And this can lead to a split in the church. And one of the challenges, one of the growth stages of leadership, there'll come a time, I believe, in every aspiring leader when they're going to be called upon to lay down their vision to serve someone else's vision. And he might be burning with a passion and a vision, but here's the thing. 
If you don't learn to lay down your vision for the sake of someone else's vision, then chances are one day others won't lay down their vision for yours. It's part of the leadership journey. We set an example number four in authority. Authority provides protection, peace, and purpose. Isn't that beautiful? That's it. Authority. And and for so many, remember, authority means abuse. Authority means domination. Authority means control. We need to model by example that authority means and provides protection, peace, and purpose. A stable leadership that displays authority provides stability for the congregation. There must be mutual respect and confidence amongst the leadership that will allow for good communication and the proper perspective of authority over the congregation. This is huge. Just as is in a family, you know the kids feel secure when they know mom and dad love each other and there's just a unity amongst that authority. Same thing in the church. The church picks up when an eldership team and the leadership team love one another, respect one another, build each other up, honor one another. That just brings beautiful security to the rest of the church. And once again, there will be times when it's tested, when there's little things going on in leadership teams. Our job is to be part of the solution, not part of the problem, to respect and honor, even when we're still working through some differences. To set an example number five in terms of responsibility. When people are enlisted for leadership, they need to be taught how important they are to the church as a whole. They need to know that the importance of their gifts and how to recognize the gifts of others. It's important to keep leaders motivated so that they are able to motivate others. This thing about responsibility, in fact, even a, a stronger word for me is ownership, ownership. When, when a church, not just the leaders, but it needs to be modeled by the leaders, when there's that sense of ownership. Church, we need one another. You might be a hand, I might be a foot, someone might be a mouth, someone might be an eye. We need one another. Sometimes it's our arrogance, sometimes it's our insecurity that makes us withdraw or, or feel intimidated. Our job as leaders is to understand and model ownership. We, I need you, you need me, and even those that sometimes you'd consider the lesser gifts are crucial for the church to be healthy and vibrant. And then number six, set an example in terms of accountability. Elders must hold the home cell or life group or connect group leaders accountable, Sunday school or kids ministry teachers accountable, youth leaders accountable to their task. Faithfulness, is the essential quality for greater responsibility and authority. This is such a big kingdom uh, principle and way. Let me read Luke chapter 16. Luke 16, and let me read from verse 10 to 12. It says, If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Faithful, faithful, faithful. It's huge. And uh, the, the real testing ground is in the small things, in the finances, in other people's things. As we grow in faithfulness, it just means God can give us more. Now, our job as leaders, and this for me has been a big learning, I haven't got there yet, I'm still growing in this area, is to hold people accountable. Sometimes I've been too quick to delegate responsibilities and then just hands off. No, no, people need to be held accountable. And being accountable, asking how are things going, can I help, do they need coaching, are they doing what they said they would do, is crucial to bringing out the best in them. Mm. 
So we've looked at two things. Leaders, remember, our job is to be part of the solution by bringing growth. Number two, by bringing uh, security. And number three, we're going to bring stability. Now, the way we minister, we've looked at our example, the example of our lives that can bring security. Now I want to look at the, the way we minister that can bring a stability into the life of the church. Six ways to minister as a leader to bring stability. Number one, minister with honesty. This is huge, huge, huge. Remember, we're talking trust now. Trust is I remember reading a survey recently, not a Christian one, just general leadership survey about people uh, referring to their boss or to leaders who had leadership influence in their lives. And it came out the number one thing people want is trust. Can they trust the leader? That's why it's so important if we're going to build stability into the church or organization that we minister with honesty. There's a great need for honesty among leaders. Building bridges and relationships can carry truth from one to uh, the other. We ought to be honest about our potential, limitations, qualifications, expectations, and effectivenesses, and also about everyone else's. Honest, honest, honest is huge. Number two, we minister with empathy. Empathy is such a big thing. Do not sympathize with others as much as empathize. We are to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. Leaders must understand the needs of others, encourage when heartache sets in, and restore one to another. Remember, I remember we spoke about this in the previous episode. What is maturity? Maturity is sensitivity to others. That's empathy. Being able, when you're not so self-focused, but rather out of love, you focus more and more on the people around you. That higher EQ, the, the relational skills where you begin to sense what other people are feeling or thinking or how they're interpreting something, empathizing with them is huge. It makes uh, It brings about amazing growth in people's lives and trust when they know someone can connect and feel what they're going through. Number three, we minister with harmony. The leader and his family must be in harmony. Ephesians uh, 5, 21 to 6 verse 4 speaks about the different family relationships, starting with marriage and then to children, bringing about a harmony in the home. Because remember, the Bible tells us, leaders, if you can't manage your home, how are you going to manage the church of God? Is there a harmony in your home that can then overflow into the church? A husband is to ensure that his wife and children are secure. There ought to be harmony and cooperation within the home so that the church may follow that example. Now, <laughs> let's just be real. I know I've got teenage children at home and I know it's not always easy. And especially as leaders, as pastors, we need the wisdom of God to know when to push, which battles to fight, to not expect perfection from our children, to not let them carry this burden of what it means to be pastor's kids if you're a pastor and you've got kids. We need wisdom in the midst of it. We need to fight to keep the relationships close, tight. We need to invest in them, pray for them, build into their lives and trust the Lord to keep them on the right path. We need to minister number four with victory. God wants us to be successful. Remember this famous verse from the book of Jeremiah 29 verse 11. Jeremiah 29 verse 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God has got good plans to prosper you, to bless you. God has called us to be successful, whatever that might look in your situation. 
So he has good plans for our lives. It's often difficult to change our thinking from negative to positive. However, in order to live a victorious life, there must be a transformation and understanding of our position in Christ. We are to walk in the light of God's word and the knowledge of what he has accomplished for us in Christ. Now, maybe I can give you a short testimony of this. I and probably of the, the temperament where I sometimes tend to see the half empty rather than the half full. And that's why I want to encourage you once again. Remember, revelation is the key to transformation. And just as an example, one of the things that I've really felt God ministering to me in terms of this is just going back to Psalm 23. Remember what David said in Psalm 23, For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you know what? You can ask pretty much anyone in our country, probably whatever country you're watching from, and they would know, yes, Lord is my shepherd, I've heard it. In, in other words, so many people know it here, but can you remember how that psalm finishes? In the final verse, it says, David says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now, those same people who said, yes, I know the Lord is my shepherd, most of them are walking around with a sense of worry, anxiety, stress, and negativity. In other words, they know it here, but they've never had the surely goodness and mercy will follow me. When you have a revelation, a true heart revelation that Jesus is the good shepherd and he's my shepherd, then the natural surely is that goodness and mercy will follow. Now, exactly what Dudley's talking about. To minister from a place of victory. In other words, surely with God on my side, we will be victorious. Surely, with Jesus as my shepherd, goodness and mercy will follow me. Surely, when the, the King of kings and Lord of lords is with me and inside of me, we're going to overcome. I'm asking you, have you had a revelation of the victory, of the, the success that God wants to bring to our lives? So, number five, um, ministering with uh, conformity. Conformity now doesn't mean copying everyone else. Conformity rather to the Word of God. As we minister from a place of conformity to the Word of God, it brings stability because God's Word, remember Jesus said, a wise man builds his house on the rock, those who obey Jesus. This is the solid rock and as we apply it to our lives, it brings stability. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are to be truly and radically word-based people. Our conformity should be to that of Christ. He is our model, our example of righteousness, word-based living. And as we minister from a place of conformity to His word, it brings amazing stability into the church. In fact, I want to challenge you when people ask you questions, whether it's counseling, when they come to you for advice, when they ask you about something in the church, how many times do you start your answer with, well, it's written because that brings stability. People are not looking for your opinion or your ideas or your thoughts. People need the word of God. I would challenge you leaders to when people ask you questions, what does the word say? When people ask you advice, what does the word say? Why do you do this in the church? What does the word say? Conformity to the word of God brings stability to our lives. And then number six, ministering out of loyalty. Leaders are to show loyalty by their conversation, words, and commitment to God and his word. Even when they are criticized or misunderstood, leaders are to be loyal to one another and other believers, not manipulating or playing one against another, but faithful in all things. We are to be faithful in prayer, faithful in meeting the needs of our congregation. Loyalty. 
What does that mean to you? I'm going to give you a horrible testimony and example. This, in fact, is an area that God has been challenging me so much. Not in the big loyalties, but sometimes it's I find myself letting slip in conversations how easy it is to sometimes, without even knowing it, sometimes throw fellow team members under the bus when people something goes wrong and it's like, oh yeah, but I asked this person and they never did it. Or something doesn't go right and it's oh, it, quickly apportioning blame. They're not even there to defend themselves. And just like that, to make myself look good, I can put a team member under the bus. It's ugly. It's horrible. I know it. And the Holy Spirit's convicting me. And every time you do that, actually it sows a negative seed into the people around you. Loyalty, loyalty. Remember, we give credit, we take blame. We give credit, we take blame. This for me is a huge one. So leaders, this is the charge. This is the commission that I believe that uh, God wants us to take out of this chapter. Leaders, we are called to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. That means we bring growth into the church. We bring security by our example. We bring stability by the way that we minister. Now, we've got a couple of minutes left, and so uh, I want to finish off with this section now at a very personal level. That's what we do publicly. Now, what about building ourselves up? Leaders, we've got to learn to stay strong in the Lord so that we can continue to set that example for others. So, 10.3 on page 138, building yourselves. Jude uh, verses 17 to 21 says, But dear friends, remember... What the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times there'll be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. And these powerful verses. Now, Dudley was uh, always good. I remember him teaching many times into the simple little truth. Where you look is where you live. We're talking about how do we build ourselves up. And the best way to remember this, the best truth we could embrace is where we are looking is where we're going to be living. Be careful where you look. Where you look determines where you live. Your focus and direction can either enhance or damage your leadership and ministry. The focus, the direction. Now, once again, I've got huge testimonies in terms of this. Uh, I've shared in a couple of episodes prior, just about 12, 13 years ago, going through a bout of real discouragement that was starting to drift into depression. And honestly, at the heart of that is because my vision, instead of upward, outward, had become inward and downward. And when that becomes unchecked for too long, it begins the spiral inside. Where you look is where you live. If we're going to build ourselves up and live lives that are strong and encouraged, we have to take responsibility and be very intentional about where we look. So Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 to 3 is that well-known scripture where it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let a crowd of witnesses, not a cloud, a crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. There's the big line. We do this how? 
keeping our eyes on Jesus. Where you look is where you live. That's why people ask, what's the vision of the church? Well, it's Jesus, because the Bible says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. What's my personal vision? Well, it's Jesus, because the Bible says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. I love the way Tyron, Daniel has summarized it for us as a New Covenant Ministries team. What's our vision? Jesus, to know Christ and to make Him known. Because only in Christ, only Jesus is big enough. That's our vision, maturity in Christ. Knowing Christ is the key to effectiveness and victory. So uh, what do we say? We do this verse number two by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. In other words, he was looking forward, looking up. He endured the cross, disregarding his shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So what do these verses tell us about our focus? Where are we to be looking? Remember, uh, Fipa is fixed on Jesus for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. Vision is a mental picture of where you want your church to go. It gets you out of your own backyard. It keeps you from settling down and seeking in, sinking into the cushions of past accomplishments. A church without a vision is like a holiday without a destination. A church without a vision is like a holiday without a destination. It may move, but we don't know where or why. Vision enables us to expand our horizons. It stops us from spinning our wheels. So don't be afraid to dream and never stop evaluating. Let me take a moment and uh, mention two things here. Number one, I've discovered and I have the privilege of visiting many churches to go and uh, encourage and preach and teach and hopefully help them a little bit. But this thing is huge. So many churches, there's not a sense of big vision in the church. Now, remember, we are the people of Jesus. This is the Jesus who's ascended above all, who fills the universe with His incredible presence, who's given us this great commission to make disciples of all nations. The church is meant for big vision. And so often our vision can be squeezed That's why we need as visionary leaders, as leaders to bring vision, to expand that vision, to make sure our vision stays large and bold. Now, that brings me to point number two. I've always been a visionary. However, in the early years of my leadership, I was afraid to vocalize that vision. I've had this fear of failure. And uh, here's the problem. As soon as you say something, as soon as you speak out a vision, Well, now people know, oh, really, is that what you're aiming for? So now you could either fail or succeed. And so I would just kind of hold back on vision. I would dream it in my heart, but then keep it in my heart. Because if people don't know what it is, then I can't fail. I know it's, it's, Jesus has been working on me. Here's what I discover. Vision has to be sown to be grown. And as you learn over the last uh, five, ten years, as I've learned to sow more vision, we've been able to grow in vision. And I've got beautiful testimonies of, of as we learn to speak out some of the dreams, the prophetic ideas and plans God has birthed in us as a church. It's amazing. Vision is like seeds. As it gets sown, it finds its way into people's hearts. And suddenly people who were passive in the church and not really engaged suddenly put up their hands and stood up and said, that's what I want to do. I want to be part of that. Vision is crucial and the church is at its best when it's got big, bold vision. So there are six places that the Christian can look, see or see with his spiritual eyes or fill his vision with. Some of them are good, some are bad. These are 
uh, and these can be the negative ones, inward look, downward look, or backward look, and positively, it could be outward look, upward look, or forward look. Let's go through each of them quickly, just so that I can mention them. Let's start with the inward look. The benefits of looking inward are that it allows for an honest assessment of personal feelings, personal growth and development, personal aspirations, personal discipline, personal failures, and personal victories. Now, there is value to looking inwardly to assess and to evaluate. Now, we need the Holy Spirit and leaders, we need to be honest. There's a difference between assessing and evaluating for growth and going inward on self-pity and nursing and rehearsing our past hurts or frustrations or angers. And that's when inward looking can become dangerous. The New Testament invites you to examine yourself. In uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 11, 28, a man ought to examine himself before he eats and drinks. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Matthew 7, verse 5 says, first take the plank out of your own eye. So we are to constantly and consistently evaluate ourselves when God's word becomes our focus and we have a clear understanding of who we are in Christ, it's needful to evaluate our speech, action, and example of leadership. Looking inward allows us to ask, am I growing? How am I doing? Am I praying enough? Am I reading my Bible enough? Do I give generously? Most cultic practices are subjective. We have an objective faith, Jesus. In other words, we can compare ourselves, not with others, but with Christ. And that's when inward reflection and evaluation is powerful and effective. When it becomes this inward ruminating over our self-pity, our doubts, our fears, our angers, our frustration or offenses, that's when it becomes dangerous. This is an important one, but it's a dangerous one, inward looking. Number two, outward looking. Outward looking allows you to take your eyes off yourself and become sensitive to people and situations around you. If there are needs around you, then go out and meet those needs in His strength as He leads you. Give and it'll be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over and running. It'll be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Luke 6 verse 38. Matthew 9, 36 to 38 speaks around. Let God move us with compassion. Become involved. God so loved the world that he gave. Outward looking, taking your eyes off yourself and focusing on the needs of others is always a powerful thing. Third one is downward looking. A downward look suggests that one is overwhelmed with burdens, discouragement, and worries. Are you overwhelmed by burdens you shouldn't be carrying? Are you preoccupied with worries and fears? Have you taken your eyes off the Lord? Consider the questions above and answer them. This is huge because this is the most dangerous one. When our eyes drop from being on the Lord to just the weight and the pressure and Honestly, there are times, I've experienced this so many times, where it's just something inside of you. There's a fatigue and a, and a weight that just begins to drop your shoulders, drop your head. And if you live in that season for too long, that's when you're on a road towards burnout. That's when we need friends and loved ones and a team around us to help us recognize some of these signs. Don't let yourself live in this place. Where you look is where you live. If you're living with downward vision, you're in trouble. Make sure... You identify that and find people around you to help bring you out of that. The solution to looking down is clearly to look up. My soul is cast down with me. Therefore, I remember you. Psalm 42 verse number six. Fourth one is looking 
up or looking to God. Look to Him and be radiant so your faces will never be ashamed. Psalm 34 verse 5. Christianity is both objective and assertive, upwards and outwards. We need always to look to God in every situation. We are invited to not glance or gaze. No, no, we are invited to not just to glance or gaze heavenward, but to fix our eyes on Jesus. Fill your vision with Him. At the stoning of Stephen, he did not ask, what have I done wrong or where's the church when I need it? He looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Isn't that amazing? Such a beautiful example that in the moment as he was being stoned to death, not looking inward, why me? Not looking downward, where my friends? But looking straight up to the the glory of the Lord, seeing Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. It really is a powerful thing. When practicing a deliverance ministry or experiencing warfare, look to Jesus. The Israelites at the Red Sea are a good example of looking up. The sea was before them. The Egyptians were behind them. The mountain was on one side. The desert was on the other. The ground was hard beneath them. The only place to look was towards heaven. Let's look up. Trust the Lord. David had learned the secret. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Don't look to man. That will bring disaster. Instead, look to God and be saved. Love it. Anyway, let's wrap up two more quickly. Number five is the backward look. This is another one that can be dangerous. It's one thing to look back to evaluate, but it's another thing to live in the past, which always becomes dangerous. The positive aspect of a backward look is to remember God's faithfulness in the past and to learn from previous mistakes. The children of God were continually reminded to remember, to look back and reflect on God's faithfulness. The negative aspect of a backward look is longing after the past. It's so easy to become nostalgic. It's so easy to long for the good old days, but there are things of the past that we have to bury. And exactly uh, what happened with the Israelites. They became nostalgic after coming out of Egypt. The result was disaster. Lot's wife looked back. The result was devastating. Jesus warned about this when he said, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Never live in past failures or successes. Which leads us to the last one then, forward looking. And we are called to be a prophetic people, an apostolic prophetic people, looking outward and looking forward as we look to Jesus. Visionaries are always looking forward. They press on towards the goal and anticipate the results of God's great promises for His church and His people. They see and perceive what God is doing. Believers look forward to the eternal reward, eternity with Jesus. Let me read in closing one more time Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And this is the charge. This is the commission for all of us as leaders. Let's run with perseverance that race that's marked out. How do we do it? By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him. Let me remember there's a joy set before us as well. Jesus endured the cross because he saw beyond the cross. Leaders, yes, there's a price to pay. Yes, there's a responsibility. Yes, uh, there's going to be times when it's tough and difficult and inconvenient. But for the joy set before us. This is not our home. We have a heavenly home. We have a heavenly calling. We have all eternity with Jesus to celebrate the victory. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning His shame and sat down at the right hand of 
the throne of God. May this be what compels us. May this be what fills our heart with passion and vision. My friends, I hope that this course has really helped you. I pray that it would have added value to you. I pray that you would have grown not just in knowledge, but by revelation as well. I pray you would have caught something of my heart, something of Dudley's heart, but more important, something of Jesus' heart. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you. May your capacity as a leader grow and multiply in Jesus' name. God bless. Thank you for joining me for this course, and I hope to see you in another one soon. God bless, and bye for now.